Hi, this is Jeff Richards from Japan This Week. We'll dive into the news in just a moment, but first, I know that if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in Japan, perhaps you're even already here, and you might be interested in coming to Japan to live and work, or perhaps you're thinking about changing jobs if you are here. Well, here's a little information that you might find extremely useful. Our sister site, gaijinpot.com, has job listings open to people from all over the world and people who are here living in Japan already. So if you're interested in working or changing jobs, you can check it out at jobs.gaijinpot.com. You can find the link in the show notes below, but once again, if you'd like to find your perfect job in Japan, that's jobs.gaijinpot.com. And now let's dive into this week's headlines. Japanese government says it wants companies to hire employees until the age of 70 to combat a severe labor shortage amid Japan's rapidly aging population. Auto giant Nissan has reported this week that its annual profits have nosedived 428 billion yen. That's almost $4 billion dollars or 60% in its worst earnings report in a decade. An opposition lawmaker in the Japanese government has been expelled from his party for making reference to a war with Russia over disputed northern islands claimed by both countries. Well, in news, it seems to just keep getting sadder. A 10 year old girl who died in January after assaults by her father had earlier been released from protective services despite his suspected sexual abuse of her. Tokyo's Shibuya District, home to the iconic Shibuya Scramble Crossing, has decided to ban public consumption of alcohol during its infamous Halloween street festivities. All this plus Japan Today readers' comments and commentary, so stick around. Hi, and welcome to Japan This Week, a quick recap of stories we've been following on the Japan Today website for May 17th, 2019. I'm Jeff Richards, thanks for joining us, and let's get right to some of our top headlines. Well, our first story is some business news. It's well known that Japanese people work very long hours, but soon they may be working even longer. The government has said it wants companies to hire employees until age 70 as part of measures to address a severe labor shortage amid Japan's rapidly graying population. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe also plans to call on companies to provide help for retired employees to find new jobs, launch their own companies, or work freelance after they leave a company. Many companies in Japan set a mandatory retirement age of 60, but employees are legally allowed to work until 65 if they desire, and employers are obliged to rehire them if so. The government plans to submit a bill to the Diet, or the Japanese legislature, next year to revise related laws, but there will be no penalties at this stage if companies fail to comply. Ensuring an adequate workforce is also important to secure funds to meet the rising social security costs of the country's aging society. One in every three people in Japan is expected to be 65 or older by the year 2025, government data has revealed. Among the more than 66.5 million workers aged 15 or older last year, 8.6 million, or about 13%, were 65 or older, the government has said. Well, how do Japan Today readers feel about the issue? Kohaku Ebis thinks people are healthy enough in many jobs to work until 65 or older, so that in itself is not a problem. 
The problem in Japan is the Seishine system. That's the full-time company employee system. At 60, a Seishine employee will be someone who was taken on 35 years ago and has been unsackable. There is no guarantee that that person will be of any use to the company anymore at senior employee pay levels. Retiring at 60 and living to 90 on a pension strikes me as fundamentally unsustainable with current pension contributions and low interest rates. I take it you've thought about this a little bit. Kohaku Ebis. Cameron's view is that, unfortunately, there are already not enough youth working to pay for my retirement when I hit 60 or 65 or even 70. We don't pay into our own pensions here, as I am sure you are aware. We pay into the funds that are paying those currently receiving pensions. So I will have to work at 70 in order to avoid living in a cardboard box in Shinjuku. Sounds a little bleak, Cameron, but I take it you're thinking about this as well. Yubaru adds, stop the mandatory retirement at 60, raise it to 65 officially. The way it is now, a person retires at 60, and the next day they come back to work, they are doing the exact same job with no bonus, no added benefits, controlled vacation time, and more importantly, a salary that is cut for doing the exact same job. Wow, some insightful comments there. It seems like everybody is uh, thinking about their retirement. I hope you are too. What do you think? Why don't you visit the story on Japan today and leave us a note in the comments. Or you can send your thoughts to podcast at japantoday.com. In other business news, we've reported a lot on former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn since his arrest last November on alleged financial misconduct charges. But how is the auto giant doing without him now? Not too well, it seems. Nissan this week reported that its annual profit nosedived 57.3% to less than half of what it earned the previous year and forecast even dimmer results going forward. Now, just a note, a little bit of a number salad coming up here, but Nissan's reported profit for the 2018 fiscal year totaled 319.1 billion yen. That's about 2.9 billion US dollars, down from 746.9 billion yen. That's about 6.8 billion dollars the previous fiscal year. The worst showing since the global financial crisis hit a decade ago. Nissan chief executive Hiroto Saikawa said profit for the fiscal year through March 2020 will drop to 170 billion yen, about $1.5 billion, as its earnings are slammed by restructuring and product development expenses combined with currency-related losses and rising material costs. Saikawa did promise that Nissan's business will be turned around over the next two to three years. He blamed what he called an overly aggressive sales growth strategy spearheaded by Gone, though Saikawa himself has faced criticism over his leadership since he became CEO in 2017. In a video statement released to the media last month, Gone had expressed concern over Nissan's operations, saying its current leadership lacks vision. Let's hear from Japan Today readers. Semper Fi asks, why is Saikawa still there? He can't work his way out of a wet paper bag, much less move Nissan forward. Let us know what you really think, Semper Fi. The person I am now says, in the end, Nissan will be judged on their performance post-gone, regardless of his legal situation. The world and Japan will be seeing this with hindsight six months from now, and Nissan and its leaders know that it's sink or swim time. But Reckless sees it differently. A 50% drop in profits needs to be seen in light of other car companies' profits to have any meaning. We all know Saikawa is a yes man, but the market trend is bigger than this scandal. 
Thank you for the insight, Reckless. What do you think about Nissan's nose-diving profits in a post-Carlos Ghosn era? Let us know your thoughts at podcast at japantoday.com. Well, in crime news, some more sad updates to a story we've been reporting on here on Japan this week. A 10-year-old girl who died in January after a series of assaults by her father had earlier been released from protective custody despite his suspected sexual abuse of her, we've learned this week. 41-year-old Yuichiro Kurihara has already been indicted on assault-related charges after his daughter Mia was found dead in the bathroom of their home in Noda, Chiba Prefecture. Media here have reported that Mia told Child Welfare Center officials in 2017 that her father had woken her up at night and pulled her panties down. Mia had been taken into protective custody at the Kashiwa Child Welfare Center on November 7, 2017, after she wrote in a school questionnaire that her father bullied her. The center ended Mia's protective custody, even though a doctor said she had been subjected to sexual abuse and suffered post-traumatic stress disorder because she started saying that she wanted to go home as little girls will do. The center concluded the abuse wasn't serious and ended her protection as of December 27th that year so she could stay with relatives. She was allowed to return to her parents' home on February 28, 2018. Her 32-year-old mother, Nagisa Kurihara, has also been indicted on a charge of parental neglect. The case has revealed an apparent lack of coordination among authorities on the situation and questionable responses to the child's welfare. Japan Today readers were not impressed with the authorities. Silva Fan says, Both the idiot public officials and the parents who are responsible need a serious foot up their backsides. Please give this man the death penalty and a long sentence to the mom. That would be a good message for others out there. Absolutely, this man needs to have the book thrown at him. Luddite calls the case disgraceful and shameful conduct by those who are supposed to be protecting this child. And from Bintaro, those who made the decision to release her from protective custody have no business working in child protection services. They should all get fired at the very least. Yes, Mia's is certainly a sad story and it just seems to be getting worse. It's heartbreaking to have to report this type of news on the podcast and it seems to be happening more and more. Let's hope they set an example with the sentencing of this man. The less stories like these we have to report, the better. Turning to politics, an opposition lawmaker, Hodaka Maruyama, was expelled from the opposition Japan Innovation Party this week. He came under fire for alluding to Japan waging war with Russia to regain control of islands at the center of a territorial dispute. But Maruyama, 35, said he will continue to serve as a lawmaker, though he apologized for his remarks. Maruyama was accompanying about 60 people visiting Kunashiri Island off of Hokkaido from May 10th to 13th under a visa-free exchange program between Japan and Russia. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who has made the return of the islands, known as the Kuril Islands, one of his top priorities, is seeking a breakthrough in talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin. A series of bilateral negotiations have failed to resolve the territorial row that has prevented the two nations from signing a peace treaty. Japan maintains the four islands were illegally seized by the Soviet Union following Tokyo's 1945 surrender in World War II, while Russia claims the seizure was a legitimate outcome of the war. According to people who traveled with him, a drunk Maruyama asked the head of a group of former residents of the islands, do you think that there is any alternative to war to recover the islands? 
Here's what Japan Today readers think. Crackafat says, I don't think he was drunk, but more like really hammered thinking Japan's toy army could defeat Russia's. It's not 1905 militaristic Japan, despite the Prime Minister's dear wish to regurgitate the past. And Reckless adds, I don't really think his words are controversial. Naturally, if you want to reclaim land, you may invade, such as Russia did in Crimea. He asked it in a hypothetical manner. The real question is whether Japan would be willing to pay the cost of war for two or four underdeveloped islands. Wow, well, what do you think about the territorial dispute between Japan and Russia over the Kuril Islands? Do you think war is in the offing? Or do you think cooler heads will prevail? Let us know at podcast at japantoday.com. Well, in our final story, we turn to national news, although it takes place here in Tokyo. Tokyo's busy Shibuya district has decided to ban the drinking of alcohol on some streets during the Halloween season. Now, the ban applies to outdoor areas around Shibuya Station and will be introduced following a number of incidents that happened last year, including the overturning of a small truck that led to the arrests of several men. A total of more than 300,000 people, mostly aged from their late teens to their 30s, including both Japanese and foreigners clad in costumes, crowded around Shibuya's iconic scramble crossing last Halloween and the weekend prior, according to Tokyo Police. A panel was set up by Shibuya Ward municipal employees to discuss how to respond to escalating pranks in public spaces in the district, one of the capital's major entertainment and congregation areas during the annual celebration. Well, what do Japan Today readers think? Kyushu Bill says, I'm all for fun and playing dress up, but many are missing the point. Property damage, fights, and sexual assaults have been reported since this took off a few years ago. Yes, I agree with Kyushu Bill. It's certainly not the same as when it first started, when it was lighthearted fun, um, some costume and some dress up, and now it's just become something of a fire hazard. (laughs) Nobody's really out in the spirit of Halloween anymore. It's more just a spirit of mayhem, it seems. Dead for Good remarks, you can't start giving out tickets when there are this many people gathered. It just doesn't work. And in disguise too, the most they can do is ask convenience stores to prohibit the sale of alcohol. Yes, in some areas or maybe some stores. And finally, a suggestion from a fan of Japan. The problem seems to be that people are coming from all over the country to rage out in Shibuya. An outlet is needed, but why does it need to be in one specific area? Each town or city should hold their own street festival for it so that it isn't so concentrated or crowded in the one area. Well, I completely agree with a fan of Japan. I do know a few other towns that do it. Kawasaki, for example, has a very famous Halloween celebration and parade. Yes, why not designate some other areas in many different cities for people to converge and have some fun, dress up, and revel in the Halloween celebrations? What do you think of Halloween and Shibuya? Have you been out there? Do you plan on visiting? Let us know at podcast at japantoday.com. And that was a quick recap of the news from Japan this week for Friday, May 17th. 2019. Thanks to the Japan Today editors for curating the stories, and thanks to all of our listeners for continuing to tune in. 
Just to note that this will be our last podcast before we go on a brief summer hiatus. Don't worry, we'll be using that time to make some improvements in our format and our content. And in the meantime, if you have any ideas for things you'd like us to include in the podcast when we return, please drop us a line at podcast at japantoday.com. We welcome all of your suggestions. You can find links to all of the news mentioned in this podcast in the show notes. Since the news from Japan never stops, you can and you should visit the Japan Today website anytime at japantoday.com. Follow us on Twitter at at japantoday for all of the breaking stories, or heck, you can even follow us on our Instagram channel, Japan Today News. If you'd like, tweet me directly at at Jeff W. Richards. And now seems as good a time as any to mention that it really helps the show if you would leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much from all of us at Japan This Week. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes of the JTW Podcast, you can just visit us on the Japan Today website. We have a category link over on the left-hand side menu, Podcasts. Pretty self-explanatory. From there, you can catch up on all the podcasts that we put up over the last year. From the Japan Today newsroom at G Plus Media in Tokyo, I'm Jeff Richards, and join us again when we return with a quick recap of Japan's biggest and smallest stories. Sayonara, folks. <laughs>